welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to be here podcasting. I'm going to be done apologizing for how long it takes for me to put an episode out. I'm going to be done apologizing for when I say I'm going to podcast and don't. I'm just going to focus on the positive, which is I'm so happy to be here. And I'm happy that you're here listening. Um, Podcasting is my passion. This is my passion project. I wish I could podcast every day because I love it. I love to talk. Um, But this is one of those things that does not bring me any um, dollar bills that I can trade for, you know, sugar-free Jello and protein powder and orange roughy and fat-free hot dogs and almond milk and coffee and um, all kinds of food. Those were all non-foods, by the way. Those were all foods I should never be eating. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this is one of those things that I love to do, but it's one of those things that when I'm really, really busy, when I'm blessed with work... It unfortunately gets put on the back burner sometimes, so it's a bummer, but I have a little bit of time. I'm stealing out of my day today to record an episode. I did do a whole bunch of recordings a couple of weeks ago, lots of segments. They were so good, except they weren't because I was so tired. You guys, I legit fell asleep while talking. And I went back and listened and I was on this roll and then it was just like, I literally fell asleep talking. So that stuff's garbage. Can't use it. It's such a disappointment. So um, I thought I had content ready to put an episode together. I even teased it and said new episode tomorrow. And then I went in and listened to it and it was absolutely appalling. Now it's kind of funny too, but um, I know in the graveyard, maybe we'll have a, bro- a blooper reel someday when I'm rich and famous and people would actually care about my bloopers. But anyway, um, lots of stuff has happened since I last podcasted, but Um, it's really hard to catch everything up in one fell swoop. And what I really want to do is I want to talk about London today because I did some episodes from when I went overseas to, I went overseas. I love that I get to say that. It's just a, it's so cool. It's never going to get old. And I know a lot of you who listen travel all the time, or maybe you were born somewhere cool, but I'm just a little girl from Minnesota who never went anywhere. And now I can say that I have been overseas. I've been to Europe. I've been to Paris the other day when I was in Athens. Like I can say those things and it's never gonna get old. Anyway, um, I podcasted about my experience in London the first couple of days and then Paris, but I never circled back and talked about the actual experience that I had in London and when I had gotten to do um, a speech at a conference there and my experience there. And so I just wanted to recap. I've been asked a lot, like, hey, when are you going to do an episode about London? Well, I did start to record an episode about London um, as well a few weeks ago, and I accidentally deleted it. So I'm having some issues. So I like got to get my life together. But anyway, um, so for those of you who don't know or haven't listened to all of them, I went to Europe back in September. I have always wanted to go to Paris. Um, It's just been a heart's cry of mine and so I was able to go and so my trip involved flying to London I spent uh, about 24 hours in London and then I flew to Paris for a few days enjoyed Paris came back to London where I was able to give a motivational speech at a conference there Um, and so it was an amazing trip 
And um, I loved being in London. The minute I got there, it was just surreal. I was so excited. And then about an hour, about, I guess it was about four hours after I got to London, the queen passed away. And so it was very sad. And also, you know, I'm apparently the world's worst luck. Um, but it was a different experience to be there because of that. Because as soon as that happened, obviously, everything really changed. People started to come out in droves. The following morning before I had to catch my flight, um, I got to witness the beginning of the people of London coming out and paying their respects, which was a beautiful thing to see. Something I've never experienced. And there's nothing similar to that that will ever or could ever happen in the US. We don't have a monarchy, obviously. And we certainly don't have a figurehead of our country that has been in, uh, been a figurehead for the entire lifetime of most living people in our country. The queen was in power for so long that it's very rare that there's anyone alive that knows of or remembers a different queen. So it was really momentous and um, it was really quite beautiful to see the people come out and pay their respects. And um, um, I, I left for Paris that next day. And then when I came back, the whole city was, so much of it was shut down. There were queues of people for miles and miles waiting to pay their respects. And um, the hotel that I was staying in was really close to Green Park, which is right near Buckingham Palace. And so it was really hard to get around. And then it was, I would say, it was the most secure place on the planet at the time. There were people coming in from all over the world. Her um, her funeral was a few days after. But, um, you know, there was people coming in to pay their respects. They were moving her around the city. Um, by the way, this brings up something I've been asking. So the queen passed away. And then they put her in a coffin and then they moved her coffin around all over so people could pay their respects. So I think they put her in parliament. She was at Buckingham Palace. She was at Windsor Palace and all this stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that I know anything. I'm just guessing and I'm just a, you know, I'm a homeschooled kind of ignorant human being about how the world works. But if that was my mom, I would not put her in a coffin and let her be traipsed around the city. I'd be like, okay, guys, listen, you're going to respectfully and carefully make sure that my mother's body is respectfully taken care of right here in this safe, secure place. And you take that empty box and cover it with whatever you wish and go traipse that around and let people think my mom's in there. But my mom ain't going in that box and being traipsed around. I don't care. That's how I would feel. Now, my mom is not the queen. My mom did not take an oath to serve the people. She's not the people's person, right? Like, although she should be, she's quite fabulous. But I just have a really hard time believing she was actually in there. Now, other people say, oh, absolutely, she was in there and they were guarding her. How do we know? We don't know. And they, of course, would never call and tell you. So I like to imagine that was an empty box. That's all. That's just me. But anyway, so when I got back to London, I got back in the evening and it was raining. Um, my flight had come in from France just fine. Um, I had a lovely adventure getting to my flight in, in Paris. Um, I had plenty of time. And so I thought instead of paying for an Uber, I'm going to try to take the train system because it's cheaper and it's right here. It was like two, uh, two euro for a plane, uh, for a, a train ticket. And I had an extra one I hadn't used. And so I'm like, and I had a, I had a lot of baggage. That was part of the problem. I, was just, I didn't want to deal with it, but I thought if I leave early enough, I have, there's no reason I can't just try to take this train situation. There are a lot of less educated, stupider people from other countries that don't speak any of the languages that I do that totally navigate this just fine. 
surely I can. You know, I mean, come on, everybody can do this. Blind people can do this. Um, completely senile, crazy people can do this. Surely I can do this. Well, it turns out I cannot do this. I got to the train station and went in and I promptly got on the wrong train. Um, there was a train that went directly to the airport and I got on the one that skipped that stop. But it did get off at a place where you could hop onto a bus that took you to the airport. So thank God I was able to, to ascertain that once I got on the, by the way, the train was packed. There was, you couldn't breathe. And I was crammed in there with my suitcase and my backpack. And luckily I was with another family who they didn't speak English, um, but they had bags and they were looking in the same panicked face at the, the map in the train of where we were not going, which was not the airport and pointing and talking. And so I kind of made hand gestures. We all figured it out. If we get off at this next stop, we can take the bus. So we got off, we carry, you know, it's throngs of people. I'm carrying my backpack. I'm carrying my suitcase up these escalators and I'm fit and stuff. But you know what I did that was stupid? I wore a sleeveless, strapless sundress. The kind that if you get it caught on something, it just pulls right down and breaks to see your boobs. So I was stressed because I'm an idiot. That's what I wore to travel, to schlup my stuff through trains and planes and automobiles like a stretchy, elastic little thing. Idiot. Idiot move of the year for me. So I'm trying to keep myself proper while carrying my suitcase and a backpack, which I put the backpack on and that just pulls the dress down from the back. It was a nightmare. I'm surprised I did not get arrested for indecency. I'm not sure how many times my boob popped out, but it was at least four times. Four times. Complete boobage in public. It was a little embarrassing. I wasn't actually embarrassed because I don't really care. Like, it's not like, a, ooh, it was more like, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm some hoochie American running around here just naked. I didn't want anyone to think that of my character. Now, if they want to look at my boob, I don't really care. I didn't, I didn't make it. It's, you know, I purchased it. So, I mean, it's kind of like, here's my shoe, here's my boob. That's how I feel about it. Anyway, I digress. Got off the train, schlupped all the stuff up through all the people outside to where there were buses that were the Orly Express bus to the ORY Paris airport. The bus was packed. And so we, these this family and me, we jump up onto the bus, get in with our bags, shove ourselves in there. And then the bus was not moving yet. The driver wasn't in the seat. But everybody else who got on and shoved in, they scanned a ticket. And I realized, oh, I did not pay for this. I don't have a ticket. And I saw right outside the bus, there was a ticket booth where people were buying tickets like proper non-criminals and then getting on the bus. Unlike me and this family who were just like, bus on. So I'm thinking, I don't know when this bus is gonna leave. I can't really ask anybody. Nobody speaks English. I do not wanna miss my flight. At this point, I don't even know how long it would take me to get an Uber to the airport, but I'm not moving. So I'm like, what are the chances that they're gonna check me? and find out I don't have a ticket. I thought, well, I'll just play stupid because ignorance of the law is a good excuse. So the family that I was tailgating with, we all look at each other, same look like, huh, oops, and huh, not doing anything about this. Luckily, they closed the doors, they took us to the airport, all was fine. So my flight was uneventful. I did not flash anybody else. Nothing else bad happened. Um, 
And then I got to London and the trains were not running from the Heathrow airport or no, it wasn't the Heathrow airport. It was the Gatwick airport. Um, into into London for some reason there was just a billion people stacked up where you're supposed to get on the train and all of a sudden you heard over the announcement like over the microphone this train has been delayed for an unexpected amount of time due to a person being hit by a train and it was so matter of fact I'm like oh it just sorry everyone someone got hit by a train just like it happens all the time. Like, oh, you know, there was a malfunction. We hit a person. So everybody's on their phone for Ubers. I check how much an Uber was going to be. It was going to be a hundred pounds. So like a hundred dollars ish, more than a hundred dollars ish or something. I don't know what their conversion rate was. It was close to one to one to get to my hotel. I'm like, you know, I'm bleeding money, but I don't really feel like paying a hundred dollars when I, when this train normally would be three bucks. I mean, I was going to buy a ticket for this one. So I didn't, I wasn't in a rush and I needed to work on my PowerPoint. So I was doing a speech there and they wanted it PowerPoint, which, um, I should have balked at because I don't do PowerPoint and my story does not flow well with PowerPoint. My story is a story in pictures, but they wanted PowerPoint. So I needed to take my story that I had been telling that I had been practicing, put it in a PowerPoint before the next day or two days later. I don't remember two days later for my speech. So I pulled up in a coffee shop, sat down, and made a PowerPoint. PowerPoint is heinous. I hate it. It's terrible. If I have my way about it, I will never touch it again. It's a disgusting, horrible product that is meant for people that have artistic brains and not for me. I'm the worst at it. It's terrible. I get so upset. I get inordinately mad. Things don't work well, but I did it, and it was fine. I think I had seven cups of coffee, and I swore more in those two or three hours than I have in my lifetime. PowerPoint is Satan. I, I dare you to prove otherwise to me. I dare you. Anyway, I put together the world's ugliest PowerPoint. It was heinous, but it was the best I could do. They want a PowerPoint, so whatever. So I used that time wisely, and by the time I was done, I was able to get on a train. They had started the trains. They were packed. I get on the train. I'm sitting there. A guy in an official vest pokes his head into the train and Mind you, I have all of my luggage, all my baggage. And he said, this train is going to wherever I was going. London Bridge. It's going to London Bridge. Going to London Bridge. But the train on this other side is going to leave soon. So if you want to get there sooner, if you're fast, you can just go on that train. Idiot. That group of people on that pack train moved as one and flew across the platform to the other train. Fly over there. Get in there. The doors close guess what? It was not going to London Bridge. So here I am like, you know, I'm doing my best here and I'm failing all over the place with this transportation business. But long story short, I figured it out and I got off the train at Green Park, which was right near this Mayfair hotel that I was staying in, which was right near Buckingham Palace, which was blocked by miles and miles and miles of people lined up to buy flowers, to pay their respects in Green Park and at the palace. So it's raining. I'm schlupping my stuff, climbing upstairs with all my stuff. I'm exhausted. Sundress situations still happening, except now it's cold. It's rainy. I'm half naked and I'm wet. I'm getting stared at. I still had my beret on from Paris because one in Paris, I was now in London, but I didn't have time to change into the London hat. Anyway, it was quite the ordeal. I got to the hotel 
the hotel was stunning and amazing. And I plopped down and I was like, okay, I am an amazing world traveler. Look what I have accomplished. Come hell and high water and people dead on train tracks, I have made it. So first night in London, I was starving. I just uh, threw on a jacket, walked a couple blocks and found a place to eat. Now I really, really wanted something delicious. Um, unfortunately, all I got was a burger. It was mediocre. The food in London is heinous. I don't understand this whole thing. They're amazing country, it's beautiful architecture. They have a monarchy. Do they not have chefs? What's happening? Do all the people who like food just don't live there anymore? I don't understand how it's accepted. The food there's terrible. It was terrible. Whatever. I ate. It's fine. I'm over it. Anyway, so the next day, I had a whole day to sightsee and explore as I wish. And so I got up um, relatively late. Um, and right near the hotel was this amazing place called Shot. And it was all black decor, super bougie. And it was a coffee shop with the finest coffees in the world. So much so that you could get a coffee, an espresso that was 265 pounds for one serving. I don't know what made this so special. I think it was the kind that like the coffee beans get eaten by monkeys and then pooped out and then they brew it. I don't know. I didn't buy it, but I settled for a lovely Brazilian uh, coffee that was $13, 13 pounds for a cup. And I sat at the pretty little table with my journal and my notebook. And I was served this beautiful um, shot of espresso that was not worth 13 pounds, but the experience was. Um, it was beautiful. But the best part is I got to sit there and I got to see the people that came in. I got to people watch in London. I was so excited. And so to hear people come in and just how they spoke was so much fun. Because here in the US, at least for me, I can't speak for all of you. You are all probably way better people than me. But we just kind of blunder around like our speech and the way that we talk. It's just very abrupt and it's not pretty. But there, everything is blossomy. It's like, oh, good morning. Hello. How lovely. Um, yes, I'd like one to take away, please. I'm like, take away. Is such a pretty way. I'm like, can I have that to go? It's just heinous, the difference. So I was sitting there and I was listening and next to me, this woman sat down and then her friend arrived and I got to overhear their whole conversation. I don't know what they were talking about necessarily. I wasn't like totally listening, but just the way they spoke to each other and like, oh, I'm going on holiday and it was so lovely. And um, we had the most, we had the most wonderful bits and I don't know, it was so cool. And as I was sitting there, I was starting to get used to hearing all of this. And then this other couple came in, this man in a suit, and he sat down. And a few min minutes later, this woman in a suit came and sat down and she was like, hi, I'm Alicia. And he's like, hello, lovely to meet you. And she's like, yeah, where's the bathroom? And he's like, oh, it's down the stairs. She goes, cool. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how Americans are. That's me. We just stomp in here all over the prettiness. And it was hilarious to just sit there and realize these Brits are just flowery. And we Americans, at least that chick Alicia and me, are just kind of stomping around and being like, yeah, what up? Cool. Yeah, got this. Thanks. Uh-huh. Gosh. Gosh darn it. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, like, give me that. They're like, hello. How lovely. I don't know. Even the signage. Like, in the park, there was a sign that could have said, don't back up here. But it said something like, Reversing your auto is not kindly looked upon. 
or something. I'm exaggerating. But anyway, so I got to wander around. The issue that I had with my one day to really sightsee in London is that everything was difficult to get to and shut down because of the queen. So because the queen was dead, um, to put it Americanly delicately <laughs> the queen had passed on anyway but i was able to walk around i walked down to piccadilly circus which i just like saying that it's like this little circle kind of like a little Times square a mini Times square without the billboards but the buildings around it are curved to like go around the circle i just stood there and giggled and it was so full of glee and i got coffee and i wandered and i was gonna join the line of people to pay my respects but the line was so long i'm like i don't i mean she wasn't my queen and stuff and i should just give that spot to somebody who actually like wants to really like pay their respects and stuff so but what I did do is I walked down to Herod's department store, which I've heard about because Dodi Fayed was the guy who was with Princess Diana when they passed away. And I heard that he owned the store or something. I don't know. But it's this ginormous, gorgeous building. And they have every brand in the world, I'm pretty sure. And so um, it, I think it was 10 floors. I don't know. But I started on the first floor and I decided to walk every single floor. And it was amazing to see all of these brands. Brands that I've heard of or I've seen photographed in magazines but I've never seen in real life. Because A, I don't shop. B, I don't care. And C, um, they probably just don't sell them in Minnesota. So I just walked around and looked at stuff. It was really cool. Um, the building, the store itself was beautiful. And it was a little maze. And it was fun to see the people in there. The people in there were dripping in designer labels clearly had a little bit more money than I did, which is fine. Um, but it, it was cool to see the clientele. There were a lot of really beautiful people, a lot of really interesting looking people, um, and then just interesting looking clothes and all of that. So I had fun wandering around. I thought, you know, I should buy something here just to say I have, but then I'm like, I don't really care. I don't want anything until I saw that the basement floor was Christmas land. They had Christmas set up. They had Christmas trees, Christmas ornaments, Christmas cards, wrapping paper. It was Christmas threw up all over. It was amazing. So I went down there and I spent about an hour looking at everything. And I really wanted to bring home an ornament, but they were all so beautiful. I'm like, based on how I am, I will break this thing before I get it home. So I didn't buy anything, but I did find the book section. I did buy some books. Um, it was really, really fun to buy books there because the label, like the price tag is in pounds instead of dollars, obviously. And that's just so fun. It's like legit from there. So it, that's the stupid stuff that thrills me. I'm like, I'm in London and this says, this has the price in London, in London terms. It's so fun. So anyway, I bought this book of love quotes because I was looking at it and I just loved it. So when the clerk was ringing me up, I said, you know how I'm going to use this book? I'm just going to just like span the pages with my thumbnail and then just randomly stop. And then that's going to be my quote. Do you want to try it? And he was so funny. He was like, yes. So I said, all right, you tell me when to stop. He's like, stop. So I read the quote and it was like the stupidest quote. I don't remember what it was, but it was so dumb. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, and I went, that was stupid. I'm really sorry. Let's pretend this didn't happen. He goes, right on. <laughs> it's really funny. Anyway, I love the book though. It's awesome. Clearly. Didn't I just sell that to you very well? It's a really awesome book with a stupid love quote in it. No, literally, um, Roy and I actually do that most mornings. I'll just start fanning the pages and he'll say, stop. And then whatever quote it is, um, I read. And usually it's very schmoopy. 
So, um, so I just explored London and there really isn't anything more interesting about that than that. Um, but then the next day I had, um, the honor of speaking. So my friend, Jessica Mearing, I grew up, um, homeschooled. She grew up homeschooled. We met when we were teenagers. I believe I was 12. So she would have been 14 and her dad used to rent out a high school gym, I think maybe once a month and invite homeschool families to come and they would um, ha just have an open gym night. So the guys, the teenage boys would, could play basketball and the girls could play volleyball and we could just have some friggin' socialization in this heinous bubble of homeschooled garbage that we were all raised in. None of us, I'm, I'm not bitter. I don't care anymore. Um, it's, it's part of my story and like my parents were doing the absolute best that they could and they really believed in it. And I'm just grateful that I'm just grateful. I'm not mad. But at the time it was terrible in my own head. And so homeschool gym night was like the only thing there was to look forward to. And my mom, bless her heart, would drive. It was a really long drive and she would drive me. I think my sister was already married when, when we started to go. Maybe not. I don't remember, but my mom would drive us up there and sit there doing nothing so we could have some fun. So really, really kind of her. And so the parents would talk and stuff. Anyway, Jessica Maring was super tall, blonde, and gorgeous. Great body, gorgeous, super nice. Um, she had a billion siblings, just like so many Maring kids. I don't know. But anyway, um, Jessica was fascinated by the, the whole cult church thing. We wore culottes. Culottes are these shorts that are super baggy and then cover the knee and that's what we wore to play in because skirts were a little immodest to be flapping around in but we weren't allowed to wear pants and so I remember Jessica would just grill us asking questions about all the rules in our church like we didn't wear makeup and we had to wear culottes and we didn't have tv and we didn't have movies and we couldn't cut our hair and all this stuff and I just remember her asking lots of questions and whatever but I was in awe of Jessica marrying because I was chubby not cute completely sheltered and um, certainly not skinny, certainly not blonde and beautiful, certainly did not get boy attention. And Jessica was the most gorgeous girl in the entire building. And so that was Jessica. And it wasn't Jessica, it was Jessica Marion. It was like one word, Jessica Marion, Jessica Marion. So I wasn't like close with her because we didn't socialize. My, we didn't socialize outside of our church, but I knew who she was. And as we grew up and stuff, I saw her occasionally. She was good friends with one of the other girls that left Cold Church. So I kind of knew a little bit about where, you know, where she ended up as far as, you know, she got married and whatever. So fast forward many, many years, 2011, I was working downtown Minneapolis and I was waiting for the elevator in the, the skyscraper in the tower I worked in. It was 42 floors. <laughs> Skyscraper. Anyway, and the, I can't remember who was getting in or getting out, but one of us was in the elevator. One of us was waiting for the elevator and there we both were, Jessica Maring. And I saw her and I went, Jessica Maring? And she went, Kulat Church? And I was like, what, what are you doing here? And then the elevator closed and got on my phone. I don't remember how we connected, but found out we worked in the same building. So we immediately met for coffee as soon as we could. We reconnected um, and then we kept in touch kind of loosely over the next few years. She got married, uh, divorced, married. I got, was getting married for the second time. Both of us got divorced again. We just kind of kept in touch. Anyway, long story short, she works for a company that has... Um, 
an office in London. And so they were having a conference. And so she got me connected to be able to speak at this conference. And so um, it was really, really cool to see her, to see her in her, she's, you know, she's a pretty big deal. Like, she's a pretty big deal. And I look at her, I'm like, she is homeschooled. She never went to college. And she runs a global company. I mean, this woman is amazing amazing that that to to be at the level that she is because she's an incredibly brilliant smart woman who's been mentored and who's taken every opportunity that was in front of her to learn to grow and to excel it's phenomenal if everybody worked that hard was that capable competent and smart this entire world would be we'd be we'd be centuries ahead of where we are as a civilization she's an enigma she's not just beautiful and amazing she's brilliant brilliant so I'm not just saying that because she's my friend and because she got me connected to do this speech. I'm saying that because it's true. Anyway, so I got to speak at this conference. So I went in there. It was really cool because at their offices, they have three receptionists and they all wear matching outfits every day. And so I was number one, just wanted to understand this. I was like, hi, um, I just need to know you ladies. You were so amazing. There were these three beautiful, fun, sweet receptionists who showed me in, got, made me a flat white. And then I'm like, all right, uh, ladies, I'm here to talk and I've got some time. I want to know like who picks the outfit for the day. So apparently they have this room there with all of these matching dresses and they all get there and they change into whichever one they agree upon. So they wear matching dresses as receptionists. It's so cute. They're like, no, you hate this. We hate this. This is terrible. <laughs> it was amazing. Anyway, so, um, so I got to tell my story, my story of being raised in a, in a cult, being in an abusive marriage, being um, obese and how I overcame those things with mantras, with positive thinking, one thing after another. I talked about how I had all of these defeating thoughts in my head my whole life that I didn't matter, that I was only lovable if I was good, that I didn't matter, that nobody saw me, that it didn't matter if I was fat, that food was the only fun in life, that I was useless, that I was worthless until my friend Shannon said that I looked nice. And all of a sudden my mantra changed from I'm worthless and I don't matter to maybe I'm seeable. Maybe I could look okay. Maybe I could change a little bit about how I take care of myself. Maybe I could get a better job. Maybe I am worthy of being treated better. Maybe I don't have to take what I take in my home. Maybe I can leave my abusive husband. Maybe I can make it on my own. I can take care of myself. I will build a better life. I will shed this weight. I can. I told that story and talked about how the power of those mantras that we have in our head and our belief system about who we are and what it's capable of, what we are capable of, changes the trajectory of our life. And I thought it was amazing and I had pictures and all of this stuff and it was great and it was so exciting to be able to do that. So I did that and then um, I was on this high all day. Like, oh my God, I just got to tell my story in this setting, in this place. They paid me. I just made money telling my story, motivating people. It was amazing. So afterwards, I was sitting um, at the Starbucks nearby, just basking like, oh my gosh, this was great. And uh, it just occurred to me, I'm like, this experience of just telling with words what my life has been is step one in really in what I want to be doing, which is taking what's happened in my life and instead of just basking in how nice it is for me to live my life, to be able to convey that so that other people 
that may be in a similar situation on a small scale or a large scale will hear that there is hope, will hear that it doesn't always have to be that way, that their life does not have to stay the same for one more day. And that passion is like a fire in my belly. And I just, I, it, it was so amazing to be able to, to be able to, to experience that step one in this venture of going out and telling that story. So, um, after that, I was, uh, I was sitting there at the Starbucks and there was this guy near me at the hookah bar next to me doing a hookah, smoking a hookah. I don't know what you, what you call it, drinking a hookah, puffing a hookah, whatever. He had a hookah. Um, he was this really, really powerful sounding London voice on a phone. He had, it was dripping in jewels. Um, and he said, excuse me, um, do you work there? Pointing at my Houlihan Loki um, book that I had, which was the company I was at. I said, no, I just got done. I got to speak there. He said, speak. What did you talk about? So I told him a little bit. He was like, that's amazing. So he said, I want to follow you on Instagram. So he did. And, uh, I followed him. His name was Chiefer, which I thought he said Chifa, which he did because it's an accent. But anyway, he is a custom jewelry designer to the stars which I didn't know at the moment, but he said he was opening a brick and mortar store around the corner. He'd been working on it for a year. And I said, you have got to be so excited to be building something. I'm like, how many hours a day do you work? And he's like, I work all of them, but it's not work. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's how it feels when you're building something you're passionate about. And it was such a lovely just conversation with this guy. So the next day when I was about to leave London, I stopped in at that Starbucks and he was there. And he was like, good morning. I looked at your Instagram. You were amazing. I said, I looked at your Instagram. You're amazing. He's like, let me buy you a cup of coffee. So he bought my coffee, a nice little chat. And I said, well, I'm back in London. I'm going to come look at your store. I said, I'll, I'll make it my, my aim to be able to afford something. What a little giggle. And I walked out of there holding my coffee that had been purchased for me by Chiefer, the jewelry designer to the stars. And I thought, what a lovely, amazing little life I have. I just, the whole thing, it maybe sounds silly to hear it, but it was just, it just confirmed to me, like humans, humans connecting, talking, sharing, being open, just sharing your light, sharing your energy. It's, it's what we, it's what this world runs on. I can't even speak. It was just this moment of like this energy that was just shared through conversation of like-minded um, experience of just enjoying building something and being in the middle of your bliss and in your joy and expressing who you are and doing what you love. It was lovely. I just thought I'm a little, I know I say it a lot. I'm a little Minnesota girl walking down the streets of London, drinking a coffee purchased for me by a jewelry designer in London. Come on. How lucky am I? It's such a, that coffee was just this little token of just how beautiful and happy and silly and fun and delightful life is. And I'm so glad that my heart noticed it and grabbed it. That's one of the biggest burned in moments of my entire European trip was walking away from that coffee shop, drinking that coffee, just thinking, what a lovely little gift that I just got to have that encounter, that little tiny relationship with this, a lovely human being. And I'm carrying this gift of coffee amazing 
These are the little moments in life that if we don't grab onto them, they slip away. If I'd been stressed about my flood and stressed about my outfit and paying attention to who knows what else, I would have missed this interaction with this beautiful soul. So if you're in London, look up Chiefer. He's got a cool Instagram too. He makes amazing stuff for like really cool famous people. So if you're a cool famous person, look him up. He'll make you something really cool. Someday I'll afford to buy, buy something from him if I actually cared about jewelry, but I don't. Maybe someday I will. Anyway, so that was the London trip. It was lovely. And so I packed up my stuff and then I got on the train to go to Heathrow and I was running a little bit late. So I was stressed out and I was having to, again, schlup my stuff. I was smart this time. I did not wear a sundress. I wore real clothes. Um, but I was trying to get to the train station and they had closed the train station at Green Park because of all the people lined up for the paying of the respects. So I had to walk quite a ways down to Piccadilly Circus. I got to say it again and hit that train station. And so as I was kind of running with all my stuff, there was this really adorable older guy ahead of me and he was wearing one of those big like stovepipe um, hats with the British flag on it. And he was carrying a garbage bag full of those hats. And he said, uh, hey, do you need a hand with that suitcase? And I looked at him. He was old. He was like, he could barely walk. And I was thinking like, you certainly are not going to carry the suitcase for me. He looked like he needed a wheelchair. Uh, he didn't, but it was just kind of funny. I said, oh, no, no, I got it. But thank you so much. He goes, well, here, I'll just, I'll hold the door for the train for you. Okay. Okay. So I get down there. We're waiting for the train. He goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Heathrow. He goes, okay, well, I'm going the same way. So I'll make sure you get, you know, I'll get off before you, but you're going to be fine. What time's your flight? And he was so sweet. So we get on the train, asked me lots of questions, asked me where I got my muscles. I said, I got them from the sweat and the hard work store, sir. Anyway, uh, had a nice little chat with him. He asked me for my card. Um, and then he gave me one of his hats and I got to wear a British flag fabric stovepipe hat all the way on the train, um, to the airport, which, you know, I couldn't have looked more like a tourist, but I was a tourist. So why not? So my last interaction in London was just that. It was so lovely. I just met the coolest people. Um, and just, I found that when you are willing to just have random conversations with random people, you meet the coolest people. I was always taught not to talk to people and ultimately that the world was bad and full of people and scary people and that around every corner, someone wants to hurt you. And now, while there's lots of motives for having for teaching me that I'm sure it's based on history. And you know, my parents were raised in a little town. They came to Minneapolis. It's the big scary city. And they lived in like the terrible part of Minneapolis when they first moved to Minneapolis and they saw terrible stuff. So of course their experience is going to be magnified. Um, but I have found that people are amazing and that there's 900 really great people for every one crap head. So anyway, um, that was the end. I went to the I went to the airport. I got on the plane. I came home. The end. <laughs> but it was awesome. Now the the thing about it is, I did not feel good about how the the talk went. I didn't feel good about it at all. Why? Because I had to do a PowerPoint. And okay, I know that I need to be able to be nimble and present things well. But here's the thing. The authenticity of what I have to say and how I say it and how I tell it cannot be manipulated very much or else it loses something. And when I have told my story before, when I was able to do it in Chicago, the, the impact of it was different because it was just photos. 
That's it. It's photos. Photos tell a story. And so a couple of things I learned. I'm not doing PowerPoint anymore. The end. PowerPoint and I broke up. PowerPoint can go suck an egg. I'm not doing it. Um, and number two, trying to craft my story into a into a I don't know, a point by point thing, it just doesn't work. Now, some things can be done that way, but what I really came away with was, you know what? I have to be true to me. I have to be true to my style and perhaps my story and how I tell it and how I want it to land doesn't fit every environment. It doesn't always fit corporate. It doesn't always fit, um, you know, groups of people in someone's living room. I have to be authentic. And so as I continue on this journey of making this a bigger part of my life, of telling my story and and truly working on honing it, I'm not saying it's perfect and I don't know, I'm not making any mistakes, um, but to be true to my voice, to be true to the story and to be true to what my message is. And my message is many things, but the number one thing is, is that your life does not have to stay the same for one more minute, Period. It does not have to stay the same. No matter how stuck and buried you are, there is a way out. There's a light up ahead of you. There is a ladder. And if there is not a ladder, you have the tools within yourself to build one or to scratch one together. Your life doesn't have to stay the same. You do not have to stay stuck. That is the message. And I will not tire of telling it. And I will not stop working on the best, most powerful way to get that message from my lips into the soul of every single person I can possibly get to because it's truth and I am the evidence of that. And so the London trip was really, really powerful for me to get that first rep overseas of telling the story, to learn the hows and the how-tos and the how-nots of telling my story so that I can perfect it and then hopefully I can get my story into the hearts of every human being, period. All of them, all of them, the end. Okay, so there you go. There was the London story that was long. But it happened, and I'm so excited that I can say I've been to London. Um, I did do some other eating there um, since I like to talk about food. I went into a pub, and I tried the fish and chips, which is, you know, traditional whatever. Um, it wasn't terrible. I mean, they were french fries. There was no flavor. There was no salt on them. And then it was the giantest piece of fish I've ever seen. But it really wasn't fish. It was the giantest pieces, piece of breaded bread with a little bit of fish inside. So it was not good. And then um, before I left, I had the English breakfast, which was confusing because you get a big bowl of beans. Okay, it was beans, like floppy, sad bacon, a couple of eggs, a big giant piece of tomato, some toast, and a hash brown stick. And the eggs were fine. The bacon was just like... And then I'm like, I just don't understand beans at breakfast. And I like beans, but I don't know if they were supposed to go on the eggs if they were supposed to go on the toast, if you were supposed to dip something in them, I just didn't see anybody eating them in a way that looked like it would ever make sense. So I tried all the ways that I could and I just was in the end like, I don't understand food here. There are so many people who live here that have a tongue with taste buds on it. I don't understand how this entire culture seems to be okay with food that just tastes like you're licking wallpaper. It was just weird. It was just sad. You know, we were created to eat food um, and enjoy like touching our tongue. And this was just like, uh, what is this substance thing that's going into my face and then into my belly? It's confusing. It's very confusing. So I ended up eating a lot of hard boiled eggs and just buying like deli meat just so that I didn't starve to death. And then whatever. So it's fine. 
but London food gets a zero out of 10 for me. Nothing I ate there was good. Oh, except the one time I ate food there that was good, except because uh, it was from Lebanon. I went to a Lebanese restaurant and I had the most amazing food because it was not Londonish. It was Mediterranean. So there you have it. There's my London trip in a long 43 minute nutshell. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.